To the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. This is your host, Nick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Fitzgerald. Uh, and today we are going to talk to uh, Paul and Mark, uh, who are out of the, the Paper Trail Bike Cafe and Gravel Travel. Uh, so I guess a little background uh, for those of you who don't know Mark and Paul. Uh, Mark is uh, a mechanical engineer and competitive swimmer, now gravel cyclist. Uh, and he leads rides in the Philly area out of the Paper Trail Cafe, as well as handling the marketing, logistics, and promoting of the Philly Bike Expo, uh, which is one of the largest cycling trade shows in the United States. And Paul... Um, it's also a genuinely fun one. Yes. I haven't been, but Stephen has, and it looked yeah, like a blast. It has really good vibes, which is not always the case. So that needs to be said when we're glancing, when we're just touching on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, to introduce Paul, uh, I I probably should preface it that there's anecdotes of starting or anecdotes of the horrors of starting a bike shop, and that did not deter him, uh, and in any way, uh, and and so uh, he owns and runs a one person bike cafe service course, uh, and has a penchant for the historical. So one of the buildings on the site of the Paper Trail Bike Shop uh, is thought to be the oldest in the country, and I thought that that was something that was really remarkable and stood out to me. And I just wanted to make sure it made it into the introduction because that's really <laughs> cool. Um, old things you can't you can't forget where you came from. So and my my point of trivia on Paul is that he used to trade metals as a commodities trader, which I just think like how do you even get into that? That's kind of amazing. Like, so <laughs> then he was coaching me on why we couldn't get aluminum. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and so if you're wondering, we're totally going to talk about metals trading for yes, the rest of the podcast. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so welcome to the both of you. Thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Yeah. Cheers. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Genesis. <laughs> Where did this come from? Uh, uh, that's probably your story to tell. A little yeah. bit, although the more I've thought about and talked about where we met, I met you first, Paul, uh, the more I realized I wasn't even aware of how long ago I'd actually met you. But um, I think I finally met you in Georgia uh, when Jared and Ashley Gruber, who are cycling photographers, uh, if you if you don't know who they are, yeah, that's not that's not okay. They're the best cycling photographers, in my opinion, that are working. Period. Um, and they put on this thing the the gravel chip was it the gravel world championships of the world or something like that. What was it called? Dirt world. Yeah, the, the dirt world. The the dirt world. The dirt world world championships of the world. Yeah, and then they had the first ever second annual dirt road world championships of the world, which is maybe the one that I got to go to. I'm not sure, but it was right. in Athens, Georgia. Uh, I finally met you, Paul, and right. and uh, we sort of face to a name. You meet all these people on Instagram or online, and then you finally meet them in the real world, and it's pretty out of body experience. Never really disappoints. You're like you're mm-hmm. you're the person with the handle I can't pronounce and three underscores. <laughs> 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 so, uh, and at the time, Paul, you were 
working on Princeton Carbon Works, uh, which had by then started because I had seen the wheels by then. But um, mm-hmm. that's part of your background, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we we were introduced and and rolled our first uh, physical miles in in Georgia. Although I think the the initial back and forth was probably years earlier on Instagram. Um, I. I, I don't, this may be one of my best stakes to claim. I think I was in one of your first, you know, dozens of followers. Um, <laughs> wow. And that would have, that would have all been on the, on the backside of, you know, Ashley and Jared, of course. Um, you would have to you, endure yeah. years of selfies. To have <laughs> yeah. <been. laughs> and it was, we do, we actually had, we've talked about the transition away from selfies and into very much of a different um, profile. But at the same time, like, I think there was a piece of it to to have an appreciation for the, for the friends that introduced us that yeah. you were doing something on the bike that no one else was doing and they were doing something in the very traditional um, like cycling world differently. And so um, what a great way to get us all together. And I was, yeah, I was operating a wheel company who wanted to do something different as well. So um, yeah, what a, yeah, like you say, it never disappoints when you meet people from, you know, in real life and uh, what a, yeah, I mean, Gosh, that was now. That was how many years ago, and we've had plenty of adventures since. So, <laughs> yeah. we do need to go on a ride that's hard yeah. enough that we don't like each other at the end. That's the <laughs> remaining remaining piece of our. That was a tough. That was a tough weekend for the fact that the ride where we were supposed to spend time together was actually a real effort. And, it was very uh, difficult. Like a, a head race style start where everyone was meant to catch the first person who went off. And the last person was the fastest person on the course. So, what? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't pan out to be a time when you get to chat a whole lot. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, that didn't stop it. Look, there's a. Yeah, we're still oh, here. We are still talking. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and a bunch of other stuff happened, but um, it turns out, you know, of course, Mark and Paul, you're both in Philadelphia, and Mark, I think I. I first met you uh, at the uh, it's Unpaved in Pennsylvania, um, which was a really fun gravel ride. And we just saw each other out on the road. And you were the Philly Bike Expo guy and the Philly Bike Expo kit. We were just smiling and having a good time. And uh, we crossed paths out there and said hi. And we've just been kind. Of, and then we went to Philly Bike Expo that year. Um, and got to know you a little bit more and, and what's your background? How did you get into, uh, how did you connect with Paul and start bringing your worlds closer together? Yeah. So I, I guess just rec- recollecting on when we met, I, I remember vividly it was on the backside of the difference, which is like the rock 30 miles of Rocky, um, technical gravel riding at unpaved and, I think you, I was having a, uh, trying to have a good time going down and up the rocky sections. And I remember you just going by in your, I think you were in, probably in baggy shorts and had a speaker strapped to your spork and you were just blasting the music, having a good time rolling through. Um, and that was extremely memorable. Um, I was like, that, that guy looks like he's having a really good time. He's either annoying I, everyone or contributing to the spirit of festivity. I'm not really sure which it was. I did turn it down when I would catch new people. I was like, I don't know if they like this kind of music, so maybe we'll start. And then if they were like, I love that song, then you turn it back up. <laughs> turn it back you, up. You roll for a while. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. 
Um, speaker but yeah, my, my involvement in the, in the Philly Beck Expo started back in 2016, I want to say. Um, a buddy of mine, Ryan, um, reached out to Bina, who's the director, and um, he was looking for just volunteer opportunities for the week, uh, for the weekend event. Uh, and he kind of he kind of wrote me in too, since we had just become friends and were riding together a bunch. So he looped me in, and um, Bina was looking for some boots on the grounds in Philly uh, because she lives or was living in Lewisburg, is living in Lewisburg. So ever since then, it's been a really organic growth of of uh, promoting for her uh, at different races, different Grand Fondos, different events around philly and the surrounding areas um and then i kind of approached her two years ago two and a half years ago now i said uh bina like this this gravel riding thing seems really cool and i want to do it and i want to go to more events and promote at these events because it seems like that's where a lot of the fun's happening um and it's right up my alley and so we worked um, pretty quickly, to, I didn't have a gravel bike at the time, and so we worked pretty quickly with some of the um, some of the uh, industry folks that were close with at the Philly Bike Expo. And Bina was able to get me riding and rolling on a forty-four gravel bike with Industry Nine wheels and WTB tires, and that really um, her support and the Philly Bike Expo support launched me into. Um, gravel riding and really getting into it and so um last year when when and i've so i since i've been like the the guy in philly uh you know reaching out to folks passing out flyers doing a lot of the promo and marketing here dina reached out to me last year and said hey there's a new shop opening um paul daniels is opening paper trail do you mind running some promo material over to him. He wants to have some t-shirts and some water bottles. And I was like, sure. So I think Paul and I met, met up at like eight o'clock on a Tuesday or something during the middle of the week. And we got to chatting, realized that we met each other in the past. And, um, I guess the relationship really took off from there. And throughout, I think it was, Paul was open for about a week at paper. The, the cafe was open for about a week before, the pandemic shut him down. And so through that, we, we kind of like had that spark of just like meeting and then continue some conversations and really um, started to, to kind of grow a relationship in my involvement in the bike cafe and then really working towards um, the vision of gravel travel. So Paul, uh, mm-hmm. you're a pretty smart guy. Uh, so <laughs> far too kind, <laughs> but you started a bike shop, which is just like a huge, just like check against how smart you are. Uh, and you did it in 2020, um, which is just another, like, are you insane? Um, so you were, I think, was it wall street? Were you like in, you were in kind of a whole different world and I know you took a break in between, but then you end up starting a bike shop. And if it was anything like me starting rodeo, I went into it eyes wide open about this is a bad idea, uh, but I, I really love what's what's happening and I feel carried along by it. And so I started it kind of semi-fully expecting that we had at least 50-50 odds of just this is going to be a failure even if I do it right. Mm-hmm. How, how do you start a bike shop, you know, 
in recent years, I've heard a lot of negativity about bike shops and them, you know, in terms of, you know, the bike shop model is dying, your local bike shops kind of fading away and they're, you know, direct consumer. But you just were like, I'm starting a bike shop. Uh, Mm -hmm. How do you get there in, in this world right now? Is it just relentless optimism or is it a really good opportunity but you know how do you pull the trigger and then how did you get going well i I guess i have to blame a little bit of the optimism on my wife she's she has an abundance of it and i i generally am very rational in thought and you're right i did work in commodities for about a decade and and that sort of thinking is not um, it's, it doesn't run on, on anything that would involve rainbows, unicorns, or daisies. But the reality of, of what I was doing with Paper Trail was all of that. It was, I've wanted to have my, have a stake of my own in, um, in the cycling industry for a long time. And, and while I was in finance, I would write a business model seemingly a month of a different bike business. Um, and the bike shop, uh, you know, as this very quintessential, like the one I worked in when I was, you know, straight out of college, but training, you know, rowing and things like that, which was where my athleticism, if any, I had on the bike came from. Um, it was that very traditional model of, oh, we have all these bikes, people show up um, and they, out the door they go with the bike they bought that day. Um, but when it came to me and the thought of a bike shop, it, it was so funny. I, I looked at the I looked at my sales cycle and like my view of how I would service a client who walked in my door. I wanted, I wanted it to be a week long process just to give them a bike that I already had in a box somewhere in the shop. (laughs) Um, And I think that that so already the thinking of what it, what it was, was mostly community and and the cafe side of the bike shop is, is where that really comes out in full force. So the bike shop, yes, it is a bike shop first and, the reality is, is that the cafe is just this unbelievable community generator. And, um, and thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, um, we don't have any product in our industry right now. So I better be able to talk to people about why it's going to be a long time before they get the bike or before they get the parts for their existing bike. Um, and, and I think ultimately it's not, it's not just a bike shop. It, It was always this thing that wasn't the place I worked, you know, while, you know, while I was training before, because that was a standard model. This model is, I always wanted to have a travel component. I always wanted to have a place for people to gather and to have nutrition, have an espresso to, to meet for group rides. So it's almost, and I hate to use the word cause it's, it's associated with another brand, but it is almost like a clubhouse. It's a great place to, to, to have more than just the place where you walk away with a bike cause you walked in there and you wanted a bike. Um, it's not, that's maybe bike shop isn't the right, right model anymore, but that's what I started. Whatever that thing is, is that's what I started last year. Um, and I, listen, I did cut my teeth in, you know, in a, in an industry, a cycling industry company. Um, and I think the best part of me cutting my teeth with that, with Princeton Carbon Works was that I got all these great contacts, all of the, all of the projects, all of the collabs, all of those things are the things I took away from that company while I was operating it and carried into the shop and said, these are like, they're just cool people. If I could open a space where I get to put all my friends stuff on the wall, it's going to be just fine. And like, that's what brought Mark to me because of Philly bike expo. 
Um, that's how, you know, Stephen and I actually ended up working together in business and not just, you know, being friendly and mutual friends, but also riding together and having fun together and thinking creatively together. Um, it really did come down to, I just needed, I just need a, basically a blank slate to then put all these things that my friends are doing on the, on the walls and people are going to enjoy it. I think, cause I really do. And, um, and that's what the bike cafe is. I mean, ultimately that, that was, that was sort of the idea. Just, I'm just going to lift up my friends. They're cool. <laughs> well, it seems, it seems like it's working. I mean, you, you survived 2020, so, um, it can't get any more difficult, could it? Except for 2021. <laughs> oh, easy there. Let's knock on some wood or something. Yeah. <laughs> we are speaking on the day, Monday, yeah. where we finally received our first 2021 frames on July 19th, 2021. So we are almost eight months into the year and finally getting frames. That's how hard 2021 is for us. Right. Uh, of course, there's a story there with you guys, uh, Mark and Paul, and, and the travel thing, uh, you guys getting your frames. Um, but yeah, I, I make light of how easy or difficult these two years are. And uh, it's weird that generally there can be so much demand and so many positive things to be happy about, but also never been more stressed out in my life in terms of how are we going to get this stuff to people and how are we going to serve our customers? Um, so I don't know. Did you see any of that? I mean, how did you get through, how did you get through 2020 when, you know, you, you almost couldn't go anywhere or see anyone and you're a retail establishment? Um, you know, I guess it was weird. We were kind of put in the category of critical infrastructure, transportation, right. bike shops, et cetera, were allowed to sort of be open in Denver. Um, but I don't know. Was it that way in Philly? Yes, yeah, similarly, we were categorized as need a needed business. So we were a bike, bike shop, but also a non-specialty food outlet. So the, the wild thing about the bike cafe is it's in a park. Um, in Philadelphia, the only thing that didn't shut was the park. And, and so last year, we were, you know, when we, were, when we did come back, we opened, and there was more cars in our parking lot. There were more cars parked where they weren't meant to be parked in the park <laughs> than ever before. And it was just people, people trying to get away from, you know, their, their apartment in the city because there was really nowhere else to go, no access to outdoor spaces in the city. So thankfully Philly has some really good uh, city parks and we are one of three businesses in them. And so it was. It wasn't advertising. It wasn't marketing. It was simply being open and people, just people. And we're outdoors. We're very easily can be socially distanced. Um, I served through the window. No one ever came in the shop, so the whole merchandising thing really didn't happen. But at the same time, like people were walking up with bikes, and I was taking bikes in, sort of nonstop, um, because. Uh, Additionally, everybody wanted to be out riding their bicycle that they dug out of their basement. Um, so the, the, the reality that we made it through our first year isn't, isn't necessarily a surprise. It's not a surprise to me at all. Um, maybe if we, if we swap the years this year for last year when everybody has everything seemingly open to them now and we still have business, but it's much slower than last year. Not everybody, everybody went to the park last summer, not this summer, because they probably had their fill of it. Um, but at the same time there wasn't, yeah, that was the formula just open the door and there's people because they, they really had nowhere else to go. Um, and yeah. And I think that 
it really touched on and, and you could see it through, I think last year, Paul, and, and maybe you're getting at this is it really helped build a community. Um, you know, I would roll through after like a hundred mile ride on a Saturday at one o'clock or two o'clock. And I think I could, I could put a bet at the same or the, the like similar people, the same people will be there each week with their dog, getting a pastry, getting a coffee, having, you know, sitting on the picnic bench, um, enjoying the outdoors. So I think that you really did create a space where people felt comfortable to escape to and gave them a reason to go to the outdoors, to go to the park. So I think that building the community for the bike cafe um, and really the audience now has really um, was, was critical last year. Yeah. All right. So I got it. So 2020 was so easy to start a bike shop <laughs> that during a pandemic that the natural next step was we should as the as these pandemic sort of in some ways becoming we should start a tour company uh, and because you know the bike shop's on autopilot and everything we should just keep you know like how do you go from bike shop to tour company <laughs> something has to be difficult here <laughs> right well listen i i guess yes it would I'd be remiss if I didn't say it took a village to get through first year. And it did. I mean, there were a lot of like household changes that needed to be made. And, and all of a sudden, like our family was making a lot of different, um, taking a lot of different steps to make sure that we could, you know, have the shop open and successful in that first year. My wife, you know, she had the kids down at the shop almost every Saturday and Sunday. And without that, I don't know that I would have kept going, you know, um, you know, being a dad and a, of young kids, like it was a big shift for us to, to all of a sudden have no weekends. And we're all, we're, it seemed like we were all working at the shop, but, but you're absolutely right. Like, <laughs> okay, so we got through that year and what can we do that isn't, that has a high likelihood of failure? Oh, well, let's start a travel company too. <laughs> so um, <laughs> like, look, the, the, the piece of the travel company for me was that I always really did want to do that as well. And, and for a long time, I was an, an ambassador and a, a, I mean, a full-throated ambassador of Ngamba, which is, in my mind, the best luxury cycling uh, tour company there is. And um, I wanted, as a, as a, as a person who is less ambitious of traveling internationally, I wanted an option of, of that sort of experience in the States. Um, and I, th I think it always was in my mind that that, that that was a product that I could help create here in the States, having gone through my experience with the wheel company and getting an understanding for how the United States market might play, what our clientele might look like, et cetera. But it just didn't read, you know, in, in you know, Joao's idea, who runs in Gamba, it just didn't read in Gamba. And for the fact that it is this international thing, there's this very big, um, like you're getting your head around something big when you want to take a once in a lifetime bike experience, once in a lifetime, not multiple times in your life, but just once. And so it should be very grand. You, maybe you should fly your, yourself over to Europe to do it. But I, I guess when I was looking at it, I didn't necessarily want to start a travel company that was that. That was this one-time thing, the ride of your life. That's not what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to do something that was closer to home, that leaned on the stuff that we do well close by. And more and more, um, it became more and more obvious. And, and then when Mark and I started talking about it, my idea of doing something 
in the United States that was very pro-service course pretty rapidly transitioned into, well, we should just ride all the roads where there are no cars. And those roads are dirt and gravel. And we have a, you know an abundance of them here in the Northeast, but all over the country. So that's where we should host these trips. And, um, and that, not that it was an aha moment. It wasn't really. It was just, well, that's what we want to do anyway. Like, if Mark and I were to sit, get all, this, all of a sudden, the two of us were to have four days, hey, you guys go and have a fun four-day four weekend, ride your bikes as much as you want. Mark and I would be building routes that were obscenely long on gravel roads in the middle of nowhere and probably had access to really good food. Well, that's just what we're doing anyway with gravel travel. So, um, yeah, so that was the idea. All right, well, let's host people in a sort of in a condensed format with unbelievable roads really like a huge amount of depth in the accommodation, but also in the story of the food, you know, let's, let's make sure that people have an uh, appreciation and an understanding that it doesn't have to be costly to be luxurious. It just has to be exactly what you want. And, and that's, I think what we end up doing, look, it, and it's not cheap, of course, it's that that's not the way it goes generally when you're riding really nice bikes and really nice uh, staying in really nice places and eating good food, food, but at the very least, you're not flying yourself to Europe. Um, and you know, I, I think there's a huge aspect of this that was the pandemic kind of input from the whole thing. Like people want to stay a little bit closer to home, but at the same time, they do want to get away. And so, is there a piece where, yeah, the, the travel company this year makes sense? It does, but I think closer to home travel makes more sense as we go forward because you can do it more than once. I, I would, I would, it would, not that it would break my heart, but I'd be really sad if we had a client who came to one trip and never came again. Um, I hope people come along a lot. I hope they come often. And the reality is, is that I feel as though all of all the community building we've done with this tiny bike shop and cafe, the gravel travel hopefully becomes a thing that people you know, in different pockets of America where we can create nice opportunities elsewhere, wish they had paper trail, you know, bike shop or paper trail bike cafe in their town because they liked the experience we showed them nearer, nearer their home than we are when we sit in Philadelphia at the actual bike cafe. But I, I don't know if um, that makes sense for why I started, you know, thinking about gravel travel, but I think where Mark and I got was it's not the worst idea. It, there's probably better ideas, but I think we've we've shown that it can get you know get off the ground and and um, and now we're really excited about what we can do and where we can do it. Yeah. yeah, I think there was another component as we talked, and I mean through this like term gravel and this gravel scene, gravel riding, and as I guess not not as the rides came to be, like I guess we're more recognized this year, but the rides that have existed and the ride and the gravel riding that um, gravel events and gravel rides that are local to us. It's like people want to ride gravel. They want to be off the road. They want to be safer. They want to be part of a community where it is um, not, I mean, gravel riding is more about getting across the finish line. Um, and so I think as we talked more about what kind of experience we wanted to offer, we were like, gravel makes the most sense. Um, and, and then, you know, being off the grid or being away from a big city, um, was, 
was a huge pull for us because that's where the gravel roads are. Yeah, I, I think there's something really interesting about the pandemic kind of creating this uh, kind of like incubation period where you get all these ideas of like, what can I do when I'm finally like free, when I can go outside, I'm not stuck inside. And, and so I, I find it fascinating that the two of you have, you know, paired up and, and in a way you're kind of just manifesting what you would have done naturally. Right. But you're just inviting others along for the ride. Um, you would be probably just going and, you know, and doing these epic long rides on gravel roads that are just stunning and you probably would find like oh like if we ride through this town there's probably you know like there's this farm stand or like there's this really good uh place to get some food like what if we stop here mid-ride and eat something and and instead you kind of take it a step further and it's more like you're you're expanding the experience for others by starting gravel travel and you're bringing other people along for the ride and you're allowing you know you're, you're creating meaning and, and kind of like that experiential level of like, it's more than just riding the bike. It's like, there's a story to be told. Um, I don't, I think that's, there's like these fascinating threads that I keep hearing kind of coming out of the pandemic of, you know, what, what can we do once we can go outside? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's yeah absolutely. That. So you guys started talking you know, Paul, you had this out there sort of idea of this could work uh, conceptually. You wanted to see it exist. Mark, were you just outside eating pastries? And Mark was like, <laughs> hey, no. you want to start a company with Paul, me? Paul actually, Paul actually convinced me over pastries and coffee. Yeah, like, that, come by the shop and we'll chat. Nice. Uh, that would work on me. Coffee, cake, and espressos are here. If you want to start a business with me, come with pastries. And you'll get a yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then no, you, you had to put it together. And I remember, Paul, you know, you you hit me early in the year, which was chaos anyway for me because we just kind of launched the Titanium bike. And everybody wakes up from hibernation, starts to think about the year, and they start ordering bikes. So it was just a very busy time. And then you popped in and you were like, hey, I'm starting something. And I kind of heard like the high level. Um, but it, it hadn't quite gelled into this is really happening uh, very soon. Uh, we, are, we are going to be doing a trip. And by the way, they're your frames. Did you know that? Um, and, and so, you know, early on it was kind of like, here are all these brands that we're friends with and we have a vision for putting them all together and getting people out riding together. Um, and, and you sort of put in an order for some frames and, I mean, a lot of people were ordering frames at that time and I don't really have a dashboard kind of saying, you know, you know, the numbers getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I just, my, my dashboard is we need to get everybody's things here really quickly, as quickly as possible. And then, and also everything's late. Um, but there came a point months after you and I first talked about the idea of what you were doing, uh, where, you know, it was two weeks out and you just texted me and you were like, can we do a call today about, you know, <laughs> the, the frames, you know, and on my end, I didn't know, but obviously we're hard at work because I've heard a little bit about what goes into putting a trip together, but you know, you're working with chefs, you're booking, you know, this estate in New York, you have journalists coming, you have, you know, you've invited these people, uh, you've been working your, you built a team, um, which I can see, I can see this on your website of all these people that are involved and, 
I am not up to speed on that, but all of a sudden you just kind of flew your flag and said, we need to get on the phone right now and talk about when those frames are going to get here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, is I remember that, like that back and forth on text and I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk out to the driveway. This we're going to be talking in a minute here. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think that's when it really hit me heavy that like, we've been asking customers all year long to just bear with us because really that's all we can do. We, we've been behind the scenes pushing so hard for, you know, let's get our bikes here. You know, we, we put bikes into production last August that got here today, literally today, 11 months later. Um, and uh, you know, we just ask our customers bear with us. And if you can't bear with us, we will give you a refund because that's really the only two things we can do. We can ask for your support and patience or we can give you your money back. We're not here to take your money uh, for no reason or to string you out. But you were different. You had bought (laughs) bikes, uh, frames, and then you had all these brand partners and then you had an itinerary booked and a place and like you had sold a trip. And uh, it really wasn't a, hey, Paul, can you you just bear with me? Um, (laughs) Your frames are going to get here when they get here and I'm doing my best, man. You know, I remember kind of hanging up on that call and I was writing emails that I would get to myself to remind myself how important this was. Uh, and it was basically like failure is not an option. We have two weeks to get Paul frames for this trip. Um, (laughs) and it, it got kind of red alert for me that like, yeah, we're, we're not in trouble, but, um, all of my energy now has to go into solving this thing. Um, and, and in a way we did, uh, you know, I, I kind of got on the horn with Taiwan and said, you know, they have a size run. They have nine or 10, what is eight to 10 frames. Um, and before anything else ships anywhere in the world, we need to send these frames to Philadelphia and failure is not an option. And then, you know, you kind of have to grab them and shake them and go, do you understand failure is not an option? Um, <laughs> this is a very important thing. So uh, I may have told some lies and name dropped and um, just to try and like underscore that. Um, and then you wait a little, right? And so you got, you were waiting, both of you, uh, trusting us that, it's somehow it's going to work out. But wh- what are you even thinking when you're that close to your first trip and you never get that second chance to make a first impression? Uh, and you don't have bikes. Um, you know, you've got some parts. <laughs> uh, we weren't the only people doing this to you, by the way, in right. my own defense. <laughs> right. were you com- weren't alone. There were component um, suppliers that were. That were we, also, um, <laughs> but like, know, what Paul, are you thinking? We, we started ordering parts back in, I think we started when, and maybe. <laughs> Steven, maybe you didn't know this, but back in like February and March timeframe, we were, we started to order parts. I said, Paul, if we want to get in front of this, if we want bikes by, um, by the trip, we need to start just ordering parts, whatever is available from anywhere. And Paul had asked early on, can we just buy some bikes from you kind of, you know, or can we get group sets and some, some cranks and wheels and this and that. And I was like, Paul, honestly, we can't even get stuff for ourselves. Um, and you know, we're, we're, we're just raiding, you know, any supply chain we can to get like a derailleur. Uh, so you're on your own. We can get you frames uh, and wheels, right? Because we actually have that part of our supply chain really well solved. Um, but we basically said, you know, go find your own stuff. We can get frames. We're not even a real bike company or a frame company. Uh, yes, yeah, so you guys are hard at work. Yeah. So there's yeah. a there's a huge amount of that. That I'll let Mark take the ball. But like, it was definitely him on the operations side of of supply chain to say, we need to do this. And I kick it off to Mark there. (laughs) Yeah. We, it was was like, Paul, this is the parts we need. This is, 
this is the friends that the friends and companies you want to lean into. And I think you were top of the list. And then also like WTB, we reached out to um, one of our friends there and she was, Becky was really able to say, okay, what do you need? And um, <laughs> how can we get that to you as quick as possible? Um, and the friends at Redshift, same thing. What do you need? How can we help get you there as fast as possible? And so we had, um, I don't know, we had, I think at the, at the time, Paul and I were talking through scenarios. So we had the, basically all the group sets together. We had the cockpit set up all together. We had the tires all ready to go. We had cassettes and everything ready. And Paul and I were ready to put in a big weekend, the weekend prior of, hey, the, the frames are going to land on Saturday. We're going to spend all day Saturday, Sunday, Monday, building frames, building bikes. Um, and that way, by Wednesday, we'll be able to put them all in the car, drive up to the to the Vermont, um, to Dummerston, Vermont, and, you know, at, we'll meet everyone there. We'll do some pre-rides, and it's going to be a great trip. It's going to be perfect. Um, the reality planned, was is you that... You had planned so well. I mean, you guys nailed we planned planning. so well. We, we, <laughs> you we had, came up no, we very, very quickly came up with a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. Um, and then you ultimately the, executed plan lowercase q um <laughs> plan so yes plan actually i think it was actually by the time we got to execution it was just plan b um okay. you know like we we kind of failed ourselves through everything and and like the saddest moment of of all of it was you know these months of work and then just you steven you and i on the phone and going back and forth and being like okay, the, the frame shipped, but they stalled in Alaska for five days, you know? Yeah. And, and the behind means, the scenes is really interesting on that. So yeah. eight frames left Taiwan pretty much on time, which is it just to contrast how incredible that was. How many months ago was that? April? That was in April, yeah. So since April, April since those eight frames... No other frames have left Taiwan and made it to America until the ones that arrived today. Uh, that's how hard it was to get a frame wow. out of Taiwan. We, we did send some to Europe, and we dropped shipped to some people around the world that were sort of in the queue. Um, but so few frames have actually made it here. Um, but somehow we did get those eight out. And I was honestly kind of patting myself on the back like, hey yeah, we, when it counts, we're there, you know, <laughs> and then they got to Alaska. What happened? By, you know, what happened Paul? Right. right. So they get to Alaska and, but the, by the time they got to Alaska, we, we had the, the final ping that really mattered to us was Friday. Um, what's and a ping? It was a ping and it was a pain. No, what fake. is a ping? I mean, like, oh, so, ping. Yeah. right. So in, in shipping terms, I guess, right. So it tells you where it is and it gives you this expectation then of, okay, well, if it's there, I know when it should next, scan such that I will know when it will arrive. Um, and so for Mark, like he was saying, like that puts us in the, the, this sort of operational sequence of, okay, the, the bikes are there. They will be here now tomorrow. And we're still on this plan versus the next one. When we have to make a different decision about how we were, how we will successfully put on a trip. Um, Mark uh, kind of outlined it. The reality was, is that we sent our, our advanced team, so our our chef and our um, our other guide, uh, nutritionist, yoga instructor slash cycling uh, coach slash former pro women cyclist, um, up to the estate to do the pre work that didn't need bikes uh, for the guests. 
Um, and then Mark and I waited another day. And then when the bikes didn't ultimately um, scan again, they just kept not scanning day after day. Um, Mark ended up going up on the Wednesday, like he had sort of planned to. Um, and I stayed back, uh, hopeful to have, or sorry, Tuesday. And I stayed back for one more additional day to see if they would arrive miraculously. And, um, it's they a just did weird scenario because, you know, these frames leave Taiwan, they get to Alaska and there's customs in Alaska usually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and then, you know, it's FedEx, like yeah. things don't get <laughs> lost you know, you know, they're a logistics company. Yeah. They have barcodes. Uh, yeah. and, you know, especially two big boxes with <laughs> bikes, huge boxes with yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, they just yeah, disappeared so, for days. And even yeah. FedEx had no idea where this shipment was, which exactly is mind blowing to me. But I guess yeah. the thing that can happen. Uh, yeah, and so then that was the the final piece from my side for as the the operator of this trip was to say, okay, well. Wednesday is my hard stop. I have to leave here today to meet the guests at the trip. And in between now and then, I have to tell them that they have to bring their own bike. <laughs> and and it won't read the way we wanted it to for the fact that I believe, and I still believe that the bikes, and for the large part of it, the, the fact that Stephen and I, that you and I go a ways back, that I know so much of that story. And that is really so much a part of the trip is that every piece of the trip, whether it's the food, the bike, the tires, the saddle, the, you know, the components, the cockpit, whatever, like we know the people and we know their stories. And that's why it's such a pleasure being with us on our trip. I think because we can tell you hopefully in very, you know, a huge amount of accuracy, exactly what they're doing, where they are and what they're on, because we know the people who did the things they're all our friends. And we love being able to provide all that depth. Well, so that's why I was sad. And so when we talked on the final day where I'm like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving Philadelphia without the Rodeo Lab spikes. Like that was like, it was heartbreaking, but it wasn't, it wasn't this disappointment or anger about them not being there. It was sadness about, you know, I really wanted people to be on, you know, I really wanted them to be on your bikes. Like I knew that that was a huge part, maybe the most significant part of this thing that we were trying to do. Um, and so you and I went back and forth a little bit and we were just so gutted, like just so sad. And it was ultimately like, okay, well, this is us at plan. Yeah. F maybe G and here we go. Change, you know, re, re you know, retool and off we go. So I'm driving up to Vermont to meet Mark and the uh, other team members who are already up there. And we're accepting our, our first guests the following day, having sent out, you know, like correspondence to each of them individually that this isn't how we wanted it to go, but this is where we are. And this is how we're still going to have an amazing trip. Um, and then I get to Vermont and uh, the following day, um, I think we were in the kitchen, Mark and I, you know, no guests on site yet. And I get a text message and it says, your, um, your FedEx boxes just landed in Indianapolis, <laughs> which they weren't even supposed to go through. And I'm like, oh, happy days. <laughs> and, and then Salt in the wound. Yeah, exactly. Then 38 minutes later, still no guests on site. Um, your boxes are in Philadelphia. <laughs> and so then I show that text to Mark 
And we sort of very briefly look at each other. And I don't know if it was him or I that said, well, who's driving? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and we were, we were like six hours away from Philly. And we said, if we leave right now, we can, we can be back and have bikes by tomorrow. Yeah. All and of while course, knowing you know, then, like what that <laughs> meant in that one little <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Right. And so we go through a couple of uh, iterations of, well, how, how, how would that work? Do we have eyes on the boxes yet? Um, is there any other solutions? Of course, there's a solution. And it's, it, it is, I don't, you make your own luck. I made my own luck by, you know, you know, Mark being my business partner. He has a friend who's going to Middlebury from Philadelphia that night, which is 45 minutes away from the estate. Um, so he, of course, picks the two bikes, or Shauna, Mark's girlfriend, picks the two boxes of the bikes up from my house, um, where they'd been delivered by a, another friend from the FedEx delivery um, station, not by FedEx. <laughs> and then he pick, you know, he picks them up from, you know, Shauna in Philadelphia, drives them up to Middlebury. Mark and I drive to Middlebury at 1.15 you know, a.m. in the morning, and by you know, 10 a.m., we have three people riding the flanimals out on the, you know, their first ride. <laughs> and we have, you know, another six, or, sorry, another four bikes or so, 90 or 70% done. And, and the next day, everyone who, who had expected to be on a flanimal is on a flanimal. And, um, and you did something really clever. You pre-built so much of the bikes you had wheels cassettes rotors all installed you had cockpits roughed in you know you would build everything except the parts on the frame but you would put all these parts together as much as you could in advance so that when things got there you could be you know quicker which by the way we've been doing is we were going to be against it if we had even gotten the frames on saturday right so the hope was is that we could kind of knock these bikes out before the weekend to then just have this relaxing Monday through the following weekend of a trip. (laughs) Um, But thankfully we had all that work done because yeah, as you say, like Mark and I started building, I think at about four or 3 AM and about 3 AM. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We started making noise. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, the first noise was all the sawing of all of the steer tubes. (laughs) So we basically came home and started making the most noise you can make straight away. So, um, but thankfully it was only staff in the accommodations that where we were building the bikes. So, uh, we weren't keeping any guests awake. (laughs) I think listening to you guys tell your story, it's really interesting to me because, um, we kind of previously had a culture that, that the customer has a posture of, I ordered my thing and why haven't you delivered? Why haven't you sort of just created miracles to give me my thing when I want it and on demand sort of satisfaction. There's no, there wasn't empathy for the process. Uh, so to, to hear, and I've spent a lot of time this year trying to explain to people how, how many ways the process can go bad despite your best efforts. And you guys are an interesting other version of that where you really did very good preparation, very good planning and very good work so that everything could go perfectly. Uh, and at the end of the day, you're getting FedEx text messages about your frames being three different places, you know, and you, you just, at the end, you can't control these things anymore. And that's more the picture of the world we live in. Uh, hopefully not forever, but um, customers, I think, have been more 
aware of that and patient about that this year than definitely ever before. They're, they're like, I get it. I understand that things can go wrong, but we still do get. And I wrote a, uh, it took me 30 minutes to write an email to a European customer today. He really didn't understand why his bike wasn't there when we said that it would be. And I felt like I needed to tell him exactly why. So I wrote the story of the global supply chain into an email and said, (laughs) here are the ways that it broke. And at the end of it, when he replied, he was no longer angry. Um, But he didn't know that things can and are just sort of going wrong and are broken on so many levels. And that's kind of a new reality. So I'd say 80% of the people out there that we work with know that, but there's still 20% of people who don't understand that you might be up at 3 a.m. cutting steer tubes um, and, you know, working a nonstop 24-hour shift to get your people on their bikes. And when they wake up, they're going to have a wonderful cup of coffee and a beautiful meal and do their yoga, and then they're going to get on a bike, and they'll have no idea unless you told them exactly how much of a thing it was to get that bike there for them with the air and the tires ready to go that morning. Um, it's just amazing to me that you guys move mountains um, <laughs> to get people on those bikes. Yeah, um, I think similarly, we, we were very honest and open with, with our guests. Like, thankfully, on Thursday, when they all arrived, it was raining, and it wasn't the most ideal riding condition. So it was like they were, everyone was fine with doing yoga, having a relaxing uh, break and then sitting in for dinner and and um, just relaxing and really taking in the crisp air of Vermont as it was and so you know I think Paul and I tried to tried to keep our um, anxiety at bay but we were very clear with them saying like yep the frames are on their way this isn't the expectation that this isn't the expectation but you know we're hoping that we can have all the bikes built out for tomorrow. Um, for Friday to ride, if not Saturday and Sunday for everyone to enjoy. Because like Paul said, it was um, crucial to the experience of riding gravel because the tires are the right thing, because the gearing is right, because the frames are right. So they were, I mean, thankfully, everyone was extremely understanding in in the same regard once we explained it. Cool. So what, you know, to what degree does... Uh, you know, there are two approaches to PR maybe or disaster management. You know, you can deny it uh, and try and cover it up or you can be really overt about things aren't going very well, um, but we want to at least tell you the truth about it. Um, you know, how, you know, what would you say about that and how you relate that to your customers? Obviously, you had to tell them everyone's going to need to bring your own bikes. Um, that's, a, that's a hard piece of news to deliver already. Um, and you had to make that decision and then, you know, what kind of response do you get? How do they handle that? So you kind of right. went with bring them into the experience a little bit instead of keeping them on the outside um, and not really giving them information about why, you know, and what's going on. Right. Well, you let them participate in the story, right? So all of a sudden the, the challenges that Mark and I were going through as an operator became part of the better story of, how they then ended up with this great experience, I think, right? So they didn't really have all that much to overcome riding their usual bike, but then transitioning onto, you know, a a flannel the following day, if that's what they in fact had to do. Some people did, some people didn't have to do that. But the reality of, of them being able to then go back and share with other people, other potential guests of ours to say like, like you just said, these guys moved mountains in their eyes 
to get me on this bike. And then I'm so glad they did. And I, I, I learned early on, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm. There, there's no use in sugarcoating any, any bad news. If there's bad news, let's, let's hear it so we can process it. And, and there, like our dairy farm that I grew up on was a big team and everybody needed to know all of the bad news. <laughs> and so I think the, there's a piece of it when, when we're on a trip, it's all of us together. You know, we're, we're eating meals together and we're, we're getting out for this adventure together. And if there's, if there's a piece of this experience where there's challenges amongst some of the group, I think Mark and I would certainly push that forward every time and say, this is the experience this time. We don't expect it to always be so. September should be a cakewalk, <laughs> but it might be something else. And that news, I, I'm hopeful we will continue to say, push it forward because it actually is just depth of experience, right? And I don't think that, you know, you, like you said, you can either bury it or hide it or make it look polished. In my, in the way I look at it, like the, the idea that we have gravel in front of our travel company, gravel, it's an opportunity to share your scars because they're simply experience and stories. And we don't need, I don't like, I, I don't mind having scars to show people and say like, Hey, yeah, this is, this is what happened then, but I'm going to tell you about it. I have no, in, I have no interest in telling people that they're going to come and have the most luxurious perfect experience and there's never going to be a bump or a bruise and you, you're not going to fall down. Like all those things might very well happen on our trip. The good news is that we all feel very comfortable with how to handle them. And I it like, maybe that's like this, this whole ex- experience of our first trip is very much embodied in all of it. That it was, <laughs> there was as much preparation as you could possibly do. That doesn't mean it's going to be successful, but at every opportunity that there was a challenge to then try to surmount we were going to give it our, our very best efforts. <laughs> and um, that's where I think that's where we want to be as a travel company for sure. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I just listened to a podcast. Um, Robin Thurston owns the outside group and, and some people may chuckle cause I kind of went on a diatribe about these media <laughs> yeah, acquisitions did. lately, but then I listened to his <laughs> podcast, uh, or, or the one where he was a guest, uh, on channel mastery. Uh, I recommend it to anyone. Um, and he is talking about removing friction from the customer experience from point of inspiration to point of purchase. It should be an effortless, uh, funnel into owning a bike or buying a backpack and all of that. Uh, and I don't think that that's false, uh, but I couldn't help but think nothing about how we've gotten to where we are has been like that for anyone who's ever bought one of our bikes. And it's not a badge of pride. I don't want to drag our customers through the waiting uh, thing ever. And we're working hard on making sure that isn't the outcome in the future. But the silver lining is, is that we have the best customers. Um, they are not impatient, entitled, impulsive people. They know our story. They probably, a lot of them know our past history. Uh, and they've joined us in the wait and sort of the ups and downs of what it takes to, to get their bike to them. Uh, and, you know, uh, someone 
just sent us uh, Brad Henry. Uh, he bought a trail donkey months ago. It's late. And he sent us a box of mugs because he, he's a potter. He makes pottery. And he just said, you know, I know it's probably really hard over there right now uh, with everything you guys are going through. So I just want to send you some mugs. So <laughs> I just thought, how did we get here? Um, you can have customers who are on your side and trust you uh, and deal with that friction, or you can have the frictionless customer who who just, just sort of it melts down when things get bad. And I hope that every gravel travel trip you have from here on out will be smooth, and I expect that they probably will. Be. It couldn't be much more difficult than this one. So you're going to be able to put all that energy into the experience that your customers have. But you've already set the bar uh, with your customers that they're going to know you know, like you said, what you went through to get them and to give them the experience that they had, which ended up being really awesome. So they know your story, they're invested in you. So I'm, I'm more and more as a business theory into the idea that we do not want to cultivate or, or court the customer who needs a frictionless experience. We're looking for a resilient, it's almost like the gravel customer. Like I know the road's going to get bumpy uh, and it will be healthy for our brand because they're not they're, they're a really special kind of person. Uh, so those are the people I want moving forward. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, where you go. It might be different. But I don't know if you agree with that idea or not. And I wasn't planning on going there on this call. But <laughs> as I thought about just the, the parallel in the story there, I wonder, you know, if there's something to that as a business idea that there's... No, a- I, I absolutely do. And I, I, I'll kick it over to Mark because I, I think he might have some interesting insights here too, just considering how, as an athlete, he came into gravel and the, the different aspects of community and, and how it, and we maybe even want to look into how, how we can include more people than cycling traditionally included. Right. And so I I think that by being human and not being this very big shiny corporation who delivers that experience in a very frictionless way, but also without much heart, maybe it reads a bit hollow, like, yeah, we we want to be on the other end of that. We want we want customers who, similarly to yours, aren't fragile and who want to feel as they're participating in our story, not just consuming it. Yeah, that's a, that's a really awesome customer. Um, yeah. So you guys are helping me realize that yet again. <laughs> so the trip went well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've been talking a lot. Mark, you can talk a little bit from your side. How about you talk about how awesome it was to be doing all the content while also being the guide and host? <laughs> yeah, I mean, coming coming off of a coming off of an hour of sleep on Friday, straight into driving, and then very quickly into building bikes um, until I think it was ten or eleven a.m. and then throwing my leg over the throwing my leg over the the top tube to to ride with folks for 30 miles. It was, it was very, very satisfying. Um, that first day of the trip doing everything that I loved and seeing, um, how happy everyone was during the trip. And that only got better as days went on. Our, our pretty much our menu for the trip for each day was wake up, breakfast, yoga, get ready, get dressed, ride, lunch, continue riding, come back, recover, and then um, a really wholesome dinner. And we were able to, you know, to do that. And, and I think the, the best part was seeing how our guests kind of transformed or 
kind of like progress through the trip from day one Thursday um, to Sunday and how comfortable they were um, a with each other and B like riding in a group, also riding on gravel and really just soaking in all the experience um, of it. I don't know. It was a really cool thing. And then I was lugging around a DSLR camera, probably like a two pound camera on my back um, trying to snap pictures as well. Um, because who doesn't like high quality pictures when you're, when you're out riding your bike and doing what you love and capturing that perfect moment when you're, I don't know, smiling, beating a friend up a hill or something. Um, so I tried to, to make sure I was ahead of that and, and capturing content for folks too. And not only for the riders, but also for, um, you know, the brands that really helped get us to where we were. So it was remarkable to me. I mean, I work with a lot of people who want a lot of things from us. So we have sort of our stable of really neat people that we support as athletes. Um, and some of them instinctively understand sort of what the value is of relating their story, you know, either through words or images or both. Uh, you know, sharing that back with the brand, you know, some people will get what we give them and then they kind of disappear and others know that like, well, no, I need to bring people along for the ride. I'm going to show and talk. And, and so when I got your folder, it was this huge Google image library uh, link uh, organized by brand and day and subject matter. And I could just peruse your whole trip. Uh, I thought, wow. Mark really understands sort of the value of showing people what this trip was about and sharing and setting up all of the different partners on the trip, you know, for success and passing that along to the people who are watching. Um, so was that just innate? Do you just know? Um, yeah, there's, you gotta have a good story or, you know, <laughs> where did that come from? Cause it's very uncommon. Think, it's so, I've never actually seen anyone do what you did on that level. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it goes without saying. It's uncommon to see someone who gets it so much. Um, so where does that come from? Yeah, I guess during during the early stages, Paul and I were talking about the trip and um, got some coaching from from some other folks on, I guess, like enhancing the customer experience. And a big piece of it was, you know, you look at like, like I don't know, any of the races, it's the photos that are taken. There's professional photographers there and they're logging the pictures of the runners or racers and they're putting it into this mega folder. And I thought what's better than giving those photos to the riders, but then also to the supporters. Cause obviously, you know, through the conversation we've had and through the hardships of getting frames delivered, we understand, or I guess Paul and I really wanted to highlight the value of how much we appreciate um, the, the companies we worked with to, to push that forward. So I think just, it was a lot of work. It's no, I guess it's no more work than uploading photos, sorting through them, putting them into a Google drive and then sub sorting those folders as well. Um, but I think it's work that is not, not too much. It's just super time consuming, um, but extremely valuable. And it, it also helps us looking back um, at some of the trips and, uh, looking through the folders and the photos and saying, okay, what, what was day one? Like, what are some, what are some good photos that we can pull for future trips? So I think it's, it's a lot of work, um, as I'm sure, you know, 
producing a lot of like photos and videos and stuff and sorting that stuff. But um, yeah, it was, I think it was very, from the get go, it was very clear upon myself that we should put a lot of focus and energy and time into um, the content piece of it. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add is, you know, having come from, you know, Princeton Carbon Works where we needed to, you know, we needed to make every um, expenditure something that we could capture to then utilize as, a, you know, a content asset. Um, it became obvious to me when we were working with a small budget at the beginning of that company that you have to, you really have to swing for the fences when you're capable of doing so. How can you magnify um, the the impact of your brand? Well, a great way that Mark is able to do it is to simply, not simply, very complicated way, getting all those assets out to the people who participate in, and they feel a sense of ownership for the fact that, hey, he, he took the time to take this picture of me. I'm going to take the time to share it. And, and that in itself is, is just, it's, for us, it's, that's exactly the megaphone we want. It's someone who had a great experience with us, and now they get to share it. And it, it, it reads very valid to anyone they share it with because those are their friends. And um, we didn't have to find each of those individuals in their feed. They did it for us for the fact that they were appreciative that we put it on their, you know, in their, basically in their inbox. Um, and and that's, that's been a really fun way to, to engage with our community. And I think they love it. And I, I love it. I think it's super fun. I think the reality is, is that every person loves seeing um, a, you know, a candid capture of themselves having fun like they did when they were a kid. And that ultimately is what people come to and come back for uh, on our like weekly rides or hopefully on our, you know, on our gravel travel rides, like, you know, getting, you know, caught out having too much fun. It's, it's like the best thing in the world. And then to have that as an image that you can reflect on, like, I didn't even know somebody was watching me have so much fun. Like, that's a really nice place to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's really apparent too. in in uh, the paper trail Wednesday night rides where, you're just pulling in so many different people and it's, I think it's just people want to have an experience and be included in something. And it, it feels like, you know, the photos that are coming out of that are just intentionally inclusive. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's awesome to see, you know, I, I feel like we had uh pre pandemic, we had a Tuesday night ride and we'd go, ride our, our local kind of gravel and single track on, on the tables. And it's, but I don't think we did it to the degree of like, you know, take, we took a ton of photos obviously, but at the, at the sense of we weren't actually maybe making it as accessible of like, here's the photos of you on the ride. And, you know, I think that's maybe a big lesson learned. And I definitely, I miss those rides, but I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of work and, and you're pulling in so many people, um, I don't know, like, how how do you kind of, how, do you have any, like, tips of how to keep that, you know, engagement and, and, and experience of, you know, beyond just pulling in lots of different people or, or taking photos of how to, how to keep the stoke high on a Wednesday night every week? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, well, on the heels of 
right after we we came back from a trip with gravel travel we had these bikes and it was another idea a, a brilliant idea of us to say like let's have wednesday night gravel rides and so um i think that very we i think it was tuesday on tuesday or on wednesday morning we were like we decided we were going to have the first one and um we put out we just put out like what, a story paul i think yeah. to the page <laughs> yeah. and i was like paul i'll be there it starts at six i'll be there at five forty-five. it might just be you and me rolling out and riding up and down uh like uh forbidden drive right um but it very quickly became like once we showed up i think we had a dozen riders there um which is awesome to see and so I think just thinking through like the content piece, it was a similar, I think just trying to draw, trying to pull as many parallels to gravel travel and to provide that same experience where when the rider rolls up to the cafe for the six o'clock ride, they're welcomed by myself or Paul. And during the trip or during the 17 mile loop, the, the hour and a half of the ride, we're engaging with them. Um, we're taking pictures, we're having fun, they're having a good time. Um, and then at the, at the finish, it's like, yeah, there's espresso. There's actual espresso, decaf or regular, if you <laughs> want it at eight o'clock. Um, so I think that just really helps people feel welcomed um, and, and it kind of gives them a taste and, and some of them keep coming back, which is awesome. Yeah, I think a, a piece of... of- you know, the, maybe, maybe Mark and I got a little bit of a tailwind with the community aspect of gravel travel and gravel espressos, you know, our, our one, our Wednesday night ride for the fact that just in itself, just, you know, that, that it is a group ride. It's a, it's a non-drop, right? So, um, we, we have this space where anyone who shows up, like Mark said, it's going to be greeted and they're never like, I said this to Mark. I was like, it's funny because the person who's last probably has more fun than the person who's second to last on the ride. <laughs> and that's because that person in last is never alone. Like they're going to have Mark or I right there next to him. Maybe Deborah uh, as well, who's, who's another host for us on the gravel trips. Um, and some other friends who are like really committed to the ride. And they're always going to have someone there. If they want to talk, great. If they, if they just want somebody next to them, great. Um, but the whole idea is, regardless of who shows up, we want that person to go back to whatever their group ride, their normal group ride or, is, or their normal friends group is and say, you got to come on this ride. I mean, we've had guys show up in tennis shoes, in you know basketball tanks and have the time of their life and they come back. And that's like, that's where we want to be. We want to be inviting people along and making sure that we're always we're always making it an opportunity to be exposed to this great, this great little piece of Philadelphia of cycling and of community. Like, why not? Like there's, in my eyes, there's no sense in being that snooty ride who tries to drop everyone. Like, listen, we're still getting a workout. You still have these efforts that if you want to rip your legs off, you can, if you want to rip somebody's somebody else's legs off, you can, but you know what? chances I, i'm hopeful that the chance is that at the end of that climb you're going to want to hold up because you still want to talk to the people that you dropped <laughs> but i yeah, think that's where we're at 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you know, like what we found is there's two hard efforts. One climb out of um, Forbidden Drive, so that's like the gravel path, which is pretty loose and rocky, and people you know, rip their legs off going up it. And at the top, everyone's there waiting, regrouping, and I think it's it's really um, awesome to see the community that's there because, or the folks that are there, the riders that are there because they'll wait. And I've I've approached them like coming halfway through the pack. I'm like, Hey, no one's holding you guys here. If you want to wait, there's another rider back. Um, you know, it's their first time on gravel. So they're just working their way through picking the line. Maybe they're walking, maybe they're taking their time, but everyone is extremely understanding and willing and, and happy to wait, which is so great to see. Um, and I think that builds the community as well. Last week we had a rider go up Port Royal. Um, and when they finished, the, the group of, I think it was like 20 of us, was clapping for her. Um, it was her first gravel ride. She was in flats. And that's that's really the experience that Paul and I want to provide. And I think it's even better when the community that's there riding with us can also provide that. Um, so it's really people supporting people, which is great. And yeah. it's It's really exciting to see. It's almost, I don't want to call it, counterculture because it's the culture I want to see but I think there's been this long-standing you know cycling needs to be this really hard individual pursuit where you just crush the person next to you into dust and you're the strongest one and you have the KOM um, and it's it's extremely competitive and so to to see you know the 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 reshaping and and kind of redefining what we want cycling to be and what we want group rides to be and even what are the norms, you know, you can, you can go ride on a gravel road, you know, they've always been there. They've just been forgotten. Like the, the redefining of all of these things is, is something really exciting to see. Um, and, and, you know, to see it cropping up all over the country in different places and, you know, people putting their own, you know, interpretation and flair on it is, I don't know. I, it makes me really happy for the future of bikes. And it makes me jealous that I don't live in Philly. I know, right? <laughs> totally. I guess that I, we're, we're, we're successful then. <laughs> I guess you guys will have to have your bike ride. Are you guys, yeah. Together like, here. Boosted by the local chamber of commerce. Like, what's your, the tourism department? It looks very fun. Yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah. cool. I wonder, uh, I, I could briefly mention this on another conversation, but... Um, Luxury bike tours are generally the rarefied air of certain people that can get there. Uh, it tends to, I don't know, seem to me to be sort of a homogenized experience. Um, but yours didn't seem that way at all um, on the you know the first trip, and then you're going to have your second in September. But how do you, or is it even possible? I don't know how. Uh, how do you create a luxury travel experience that's accessible or inclusive. Look, things things cost money. It costs money to travel, and some people don't even have, you know, that that option available to them to even just leave their city long enough, or you know, go away on a recreational trip. But to be able to go away and and, and you know, on a bike trip, I, I guess that assumes a lot about people. But you know, you created something that stood apart. It looked nothing like the other brochures and websites, um, and 
can you, not can you bottle that, but like, how do you have that in your DNA and carry it forward into future trips? And, and, uh, you know, is there a secret sauce, um, you know, to this inclusive, diverse gravel travel, uh, trip that, that you pulled off on the first one? I think the the start is to say that there there's no we we try to make no assumptions about who wants to ride bikes on dirt, <laughs> and so by by making no assumptions of that we simply say who's riding bikes and all those people riding bikes regardless of whether you know it's it's a commuter uh, you know full on roadie or kids riding wheelies in Philadelphia like they're all riding bikes they are that's our market. We think any of those people, you know, throwing a leg over a gravel bike are going to have a good time. That's, that's the only assumption we make is that putting a, putting a leg over our bikes, which are your bikes, is going to be fun. And so that immediately just becomes our audience. Like our tent is huge. All of a sudden, we get to reach out into our very local communities that, yes, are very diverse. And the pandemic actually helped, you know create a huge amount of momentum in, in all sorts of bike groups in within Philadelphia, whether that is like, you know, the, the actual bike life, uh, you know, wheelie kids or, you know, the, every single group ride in Philly that meets at the Rocky statue is bigger than it was a year ago. Um, and that includes, you know, a huge amount of momentum with all sorts of black led rides, black led group rides. Uh, we have our first black owned bicycle shop in Philadelphia, which is so awesome. All on the back of this momentum that we've seen from all sorts of communities. Um, and also the existing communities that happen to already be that, like you said, sort of the, the people who always rode bikes, but we're just excited to say, this is awesome. Everybody, more people are riding bikes. And you know what? Not many of them have ridden gravel bikes. So we have an opportunity to introduce people into what we think is a really fun way to ride bikes. And as a result, like there aren't many outlets to get it done more easily than at our shop in Philadelphia. So that's been this really great opportunity. But at the same time, like people riding bikes means that eventually they're either going to be retained as a cyclist and that will become one of these things they do for their life or they'll shed it and it will become a hobby they did. But from my understanding, from our, our experience with people who've come on our trips, the people who come on gravel espresso rides, like I, I, I make, yeah, I make no assumption who wants to come on our trip. And therefore we just continue to push forward and say, we want everyone there. Um, right. Yeah. And, and I think um, the exposure piece, right. The Wednesday night gravel rides are, the gravel espresso rides give exposure to a different side of cycling that you might not be used to. Um, like, you know, some of the big, some of like the big group rides here are fast road rides or big road group rides. And so there's not many gravel rides. So people don't know about it. They don't know what it is. It's completely new to them. They had no idea you could ride a bike on like forbidden forbidden drive or even in the trails that wasn't a mountain bike so i think simply by exposing people to gravel and trail riding and a different outlet of cycling um has helped kind of 
the Wednesday nights, it will help, I hope, um, bring exposure to, hey, this is gravel. It's fun. Wouldn't you want to go to Vermont or wouldn't you want to go to central Pennsylvania, to the Susquehanna Valley to do this for four days? Like, and, and not only that, have vistas and have a really nice meal and have um, class top-notch accommodations. Um, so I think the exposure piece, it's a little bit harder in Philly. So um, I think that we're, we're trying to kind of break in there. And once people are exposed to it and they enjoy it and they have a positive experience, then they'll go back to their friends and, and kind of rave about it. And hopefully they can work towards, hey, this is a gravel trip. Here's what the dates are for 2022. We're going to put our name down because we know it's going to be a great time. And like, and like Paul said, we invite everyone and anyone to, to those rides. Um, and we, we take care of them. We'll take care of them. Um, yeah, through and through. It's interesting to me, I guess one of my final sort of parting thoughts would be that nobody's doing what you're doing yet that I know of. So I know of various tour operators that have done road cycling trips for decades but as it relates to sort of gravel, there may be people out there. I don't have visibility on everything, but it seems like you're one of at least, if not the only, but one of the early entries into go take a gravel trip, uh, vacation, or, you know, get away. Uh, so you're kind of setting and helping to define people's expectations for what that can look like and how that might be different than your typical, you know, go to Tuscany and sip wine cycling experience. Um, so you, you have a blank canvas to do things as you see fit and then show other people that that's a really fun way to do it. Um, and I, I'm excited for that. Uh, like you can define a category, not very many opportunities in genres where people have a, an ability to define a category. So in, you know, by showing, showing people what happened, what, you know, what the first trip was like is a way to sort of set the expectations. So, and we're talking about that now, you're also coming out with a short film piece uh, that's just about done and will be linked with this when we when we post it. Um, people want to know what the first trip was like, see the people who were there, get a sense of the little culture that you have. Uh, that's going to be a really cool place to see it. And then they can also follow you uh, on social media, on your website, um, Paper Trail Bike Cafe and Paper Trail Gravel Travel. Uh, and you're going to see a really cool uh, community, uh, some really awesome images of people riding bikes, um, sort of helping to define what, what it is that's coming next. That's very, very generous of you, and I'll take all of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun to watch. Uh, it's fun to watch. I would have rewritten some of the adversity part, uh, you know, to not put people I, I like through the through the grinder. But at the same point, yeah, the story so far is a really cool one. And um, hey, I was talking to to my wife and I was like, hey, maybe this is one of the, maybe this is a bike trip that you would go on with me. And I was describing it to her. And she was like, I like all of those things. <laughs> so right. this could be it. This could be the bridge. Uh, yeah. yeah. Bring new people we, we, in. We'd be happy to have you. <laughs> so, cool. Well, very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for having us along. We really appreciate it. Appreciate the, um, yeah, the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't take it for granted that, you know, you wanted to, you wanted to bring us along on your trip. Uh, you know, you chose us. I tell a lot of customers that it's very difficult to buy a bad 
you know, bike anymore. Everybody's making really fun, good, capable, and oftentimes way more affordable bikes than we do. Um, so when people choose to say, hey, yeah, but I want it to be rodeo, that means a lot to us here. You know, there's a half dozen people in Denver that get to keep, keep doing what they're doing because people choose us when they don't have to. So we're thankful that you guys chose us and we, we just give you along for this ride and we see pictures of people having fun on our bikes and we, how do we even get here? It's really fun. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, thanks guys so much. And I'm going to come on a trip. I'm definitely coming on a trip <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to it. Maybe we can get closer to you. Maybe, yeah. Probably not Colorado really, very cool. quick, but maybe sometime soon we'll get out west-ish. But yeah, maybe a gravel travel west. Uh, we can entice you to throw a trip out here and, and run uh, <laughs> some ground groundwork for it or something like that. But we still got to get to the east. Uh, the yeah. things that you sent pictures of look unlike anything that we have here. So. Yeah. yeah, super fun. All right. Well, cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, yeah, thank so you so much, guys. Thank, thank you, you both. Paul. All right. That's a wrap. And before, we, before we're out of here, we have to thank the usuals. The uh, usual suspects. Who is that, Nick? Uh, we've got uh, Q uh, with the timeless intro, outro, and obviously Michael for the mastering of the episodes. Thank you both so much. Yeah, and everyone here at the office who let me sneak away on the day the frames arrived. Uh, to record this i just was like good luck uh good luck unloading everyone i'm gonna go sit at my desk and record so thank you to everyone all right cool studio